well, how do I learn to forgive someone who molested me as a child? How does the church feel about transgenders and those who identify uh, with the LGBT community? What's the difference between Christian beliefs and Mormon beliefs? That's a few of the questions I'll be doing my best to answer over the next two weeks as we tackle what's on your heart with You Choose Sunday. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. Just so glad that you've chosen to spend some time with us today. Also, if you're joining us on video here in the building or on the internet somewhere around the world, uh, thanks for tuning in. You're a part of our family, whether you're here in person or not. The next two weeks will be a little bit different than normal. We are going to be singing songs that you selected, and I'll be answering questions that you submitted. Submitted as a part of You Choose Sunday. Little, little heads up, I can't answer every question that was submitted. So if I don't answer your question, it was not because it was not a good enough question. We just don't have time to get to all of them. So please don't have your feelings hurt if I don't get to your question. A number of reasons why I may not answer it. Some of the questions you gave, uh, we've already answered in previous You Choose Sundays or previous sermons. Some questions I'm actually already planning on answering in upcoming messages that we're planning. And then there were several questions that came in about the end times, the return of Christ. So many of them, I'm, I'm planning a whole sermon series on end times uh, in uh, 2018. So it'll come later in 2018, but we're going to deal with that later on. So I can't answer all those questions. And please understand, you don't have to wait until you choose Sunday to ask a question. Okay, we're, We'll answer your question anytime. Any question you got, our staff will do our best to answer your question. I actually had somebody this morning out in the lobby say, I can really ask a question anytime, yes, anytime, except two in the morning, but anytime you can ask a question uh, and we will do our best to answer. If it's a real controversial one, Pastor Andy would love to answer that question, so <laughs> go ahead and ask those and we'll pass those off, off to him. And small groups are a great place to ask questions as well. So if you're not in a small group, uh, I would encourage you to do that. There's still some groups open. You can sign up for them out at the Next Steps wall. Uh, I know in my group that I'm in, always questions come up and we learn from asking questions. So sign up for a group. We got a new season starting in the new year as well with tons of new groups launching. So take an opportunity, get in a group and ask your questions there. One of the things I love about You Choose Sundays is I asked my wife to join me on platform and she helps ask the questions uh, that I have prepared answers for. And so all day I've got to spend time with my wife on a Sunday, which is super unusual. So would you do uh, me a favor and give the best Element Church welcome you can to my wife, Sabrina. Just kidding. It's the last service I thought I might go for, but oh, embarrass you a little bit. This is way out of, I've said this every service and probably make it worse for her, but it's way out of her comfort zone to even be up here on the platform. Uh, but she's always very kind uh, to do this for me. And uh, I have a blast. I don't know if she has a blast, but I have a blast uh, having her up here with me. And so I'm very proud of her for stepping out of that comfort area and joining me on the platform. Ready? Yes. Last one. Yes. Then I'll buy you Starbucks tomorrow. I'm glad this day is almost over. <laughs> this is the best service to preach to, by the way. Okay. 6 p.m. service. This is the first question. This first question is concerning the church. This person asked, where does a church go from here? Great question. I love that someone asked this question. I promise it wasn't me, but I will take full advantage of answering it. So if you ask a vision question, be sure I'm going to answer it. Um, so here, let me answer it, answer it this way. A little over a year ago, most of you guys know this, we cast vision for this new initiative we're doing called I Heart Wyoming, right? 
And, and iHeart Wyoming really is a long-term vision to elevate, expand, and reinforce the credibility of God's church in all 23 counties across the state of Wyoming. And the reason we felt led to pursue this thing called iHeart Wyoming is according to the latest census, there were 340,000 people in Wyoming who claimed none as their religion on the census. If you include religions that do not have anything to do with the Jesus of the Bible, there's 405,000 people in Wyoming who are not connected to the message and ministry of Jesus on a, on a regular basis. That's 72% of our state. So that number is alarming, right? It should be alarming. And we believe I Heart Wyoming is a, is a part of that solution. So last year, we, we challenged the church to, we said, hey, we want to we give a, literally give away $100,000 to other churches around our state to help them tangibly serve their communities, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And through your generosity in our year-end offering called the So That Offering, uh, you generously gave $75,000 towards that goal. Then out of our outreach budget, we put another 25000 in, making it an even one hundred grand for, for 2017. Our goal was to partner with 10 churches uh, this year, and we have two months left, and we have not partnered with 10 churches. We've partnered with 14 churches so far. Yeah, it's awesome. And we, those churches are in 10 different counties, which is cool. And we've given away $99,500 to those 14 churches. So we got 500 bucks left. I'm pretty sure Steve already figured out a way to spend all of it, but that's fine. Uh, we want to give all $100,000, uh, all of it away. Um, and so we want to help raise the credibility the, uh, of, of God's church here in Wyoming. And we've seen these churches do unbelievable things. If you've not heard or seen what has been going on around our state, you need to go to a couple of websites, iheartwyoming.com, or jump on Facebook and look up iHeartWyoming Initiative on there. Uh, there's a video, there's updates of what all these churches have been doing. Absolutely phenomenal to see what God's done uh, with that hundred grand. So where are we going? Well, here's where we're going. We're doing it again. In 2018, we are continuing the iHeart Wyoming Initiative. I wish we were doing 18 churches in 2018. My OCD would be so much better. But we're actually doing 20 churches in 2018. We're going to want to part with 20 churches uh, to increase our impact throughout the state of Wyoming. And coming up on December 10th, you have a, you have a chance to be a part of that again through our annual year-end offering called the So That Offering. So the So That Offering is born from John 3.16 which says, for God loved the world so much that he gave. Everyone say gave. gave. He gave his one and only son, here's those words, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that's really, as a believer, why we should give as well. That because we love God, we give so that more and more people will come to know Jesus through his church. So that offerings above and beyond our regular giving, and I've already started praying myself for our family this prayer, God, what do you want to give through us? And that's all I'm asking for all of us to do. God, what do you want to give through me? And then whatever he leads you to give, uh, I would challenge you to follow through on 
that giving. And you can give, in a, like you always give, we can, you can give you know, digitally, online, mobile giving option. You can give cash or check. Just make sure you mark so that offering. The, the so that portal's all already opened up online to give there. And sometimes people forget this too, but you can give in very creative ways. Uh, through We had guys, we have somebody gave, gave a stock last year at the end of the year. So you can give through stocks and bonds and property and precious metals. We actually had one person one time give us $414,000 in gold, which was unbelievable. So if you got $400,000 in gold, we'll take it. Um, but you can give in, in creative ways. And uh, I, I, I fully believe that we can give more than we gave last year. Fully believe that. And so I've been praying leading up to today, God, what do you want us to pray for? Like what's that number we should shoot for in prayer? And I'm not saying at all that this was a word from God. So please hear me. This is not God saying we have to reach this number. But there's a number I just haven't been able to shake in my own heart, and that number is $250,000. So for us to reach that is a God-sized thing. It's more than three times what we gave last year. And so I fully believe for us to reach that number, we're going to need at least one person to give 100 grand, maybe somebody to give 50, okay? And you're laughing because you think it's not you, but that could be somebody. We have people in our church in our sphere of influence who could do that. And so just pray, God, what do you want me to give? We, none of us will be able to do everything, but we can all do something. And if we all do something, we'll end up accomplishing what? Everything. So do our part. That's where we're headed. I'm super excited. I can't wait to see how God expands this, this vision in Wyoming. We had lots of questions come in on prayer. Here is one, here is one on anointing with oil. Do you believe in anointing with oil before praying for someone? What are your personal thoughts on anointing people with oil and praying for them? So short answer, yes, I do believe in anointing with oil. Here's a bottle of anointing oil I keep in my office for just such an occasion. And uh, so if someone requests being anointed with oil, led to do that, we will. In fact, this morning after our second service, we had a request from somebody who has cancer to anoint them with oil and pray for their healing. And so we did that. And we actually are encouraged in Scripture to do this. It comes from John 5, or James 5, 13 through 15, says this. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. Now, I do want to make a little note here that every commentary I read on that last verse about praying for someone will, will make them well, every commentator said, we have to understand that verse within the context of God's will. That if praying for someone with oil always healed them, no one would ever die. Right? We understand that even Jesus, when he raised someone from the dead, that person eventually died again. The only person to raise from the dead and not go back dead is Jesus. So we've got to understand it in that context. That yes, God, I believe, can heal and wants us to pray for healing, but he doesn't always do that. However, we do believe in anointing with oil and do that on occasion. Sticking with the prayer theme, how do you know you are effectively praying? Is there a best way to start and end a prayer? So super glad that we had prayers, uh, questions on prayer because I think prayer is a lost art in our faith today. I think it might be the most neglected area of our faith is prayer, maybe second only to Bible reading, which we'll get into some Bible questions here in a second too. But here, here's my, my first thought, that prayer is not about getting something from God as much as it's about getting closer to God. That's the goal of prayer. That's an effective prayer life, that I get closer in my relationship with God. So I think you actually know more about the effectiveness of your prayers by how you react when you don't get what you ask for. 
that shows how effective your prayer life is. Because if you have an effective prayer life, you are being molded into the image of Jesus. And Jesus, when he asked God, the Father, for what he wanted, said, not my will, but yours be done. So how do you respond when you don't get what you ask for? Real is the sign of an effective prayer life. I made this little big idea for us that effective prayers are not determined by the results, but by the relationship that is built. So is your relationship with the Father growing? That's the sign of an effective prayer life, not whether he's answering all these things, yes, that I've asked him to do in my in my life. So then as far as starting or ending prayers, I would say this, that God's not concerned really with how you start or end a prayer. He's more concerned about what's in between and then how you live after you've prayed. That's what God's concerned about. So how should you start? I think it should be honoring and respectful, absolutely. Um, but I don't think there's any set words. I didn't tell Brielle I was giving using this today, but our worship resident, Brielle, I love the way she starts her prayers. She just starts them just like this. Hey, God. And then starts her conversation, like she's talking to a friend. And that's really how you should talk to God, right? Like when I call my dad and he answers the phone, I don't say, dear dad, and then go into my request, right? I was like, hey, dad. And man, we're right into a conversation. So I personally start my prayers typically with father in heaven. It's just habit. Um, that's my way of showing respect and honor to God. But don't get too caught up in how you start and finish. We also had several questions come in on the Bible. This person asked, how do I deal with the parts of the Bible I feel are outdated? How do I make old material in the Bible relevant to today's world? So had several questions come in about the Bible. The one after this one's going to get really, really deep, so get ready. Uh, but they're good. I'm glad that you guys asked these questions. So my first response is this. Oftentimes, what the Bible says is not outdated, our world or our lifestyle is out of whack with God's word. So we cannot change the word to match our life. We must change our life to match the word. Okay? So that's my first response to that question. And I'm not sure, like these Bible questions we have, I'm not sure where they come from. So I'm not sure if it comes from a skeptical perspective or just from a believer who wants to know. But, but no matter the case, we can't change God's word to fit our life. So First Peter, the Apostle Peter said this, 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, and here it is, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So let me just remind us that the word Peter talks about, the Bible he's referencing, the only Bible, the only word that Peter had, the only word that Paul had, the only word that Jesus had was the Old Testament. That's the only word that existed at the time. And so when Peter talks about the word remaining forever, he was talking about the part of the Bible we most think is outdated. And yet Peter says it remains forever. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, says this, 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, all scripture, and what's super interesting is in the original Greek language, that word all actually means all, super cool, so blew your mind, I know, 
all scripture, took you a second, that's okay, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So again, when Paul said all scripture, he was referring to the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, uh, Genesis through, through Malachi. And I know this creates tons of difficulties because some of the Old Testament, specifically the Jewish sacrificial system, the ceremonial laws, they no longer apply to us. Praise God, we can eat bacon now, right? So Jesus fulfilled those ceremonial parts of the law, but the commands of God, the eternal commands remain the same, especially those commands that are repeated by Jesus himself or are repeated by the apostles in the New Testament portion of the Bible, Matthew through Revelation. So Dr. Richard Taylor, he, he wrote a book called What Every Christian Ought to Know. We had some in the Element Store today. I'm not sure if we have any left in there. It's, he has a whole chapter on the Bible, which is phenomenal. So if you want some really good information on the Bible and why we should trust it or, or whatever, that's a great book to, to get what every Christian ought to know. When it comes to the Bible feeling outdated, here's kind of where my challenge is going to be. I would challenge us to look at principles in the Bible, not just practices. Because there are some historical things, political things, cultural things that might feel outdated, but the principles in the Bible remain the same. For instance, recently I just got done reading Deuteronomy for my devotions, and Deuteronomy is one of those books that could feel very, very outdated if you're not careful. So two Sundays ago, I was up in the morning before church spending some time in the Word, but I was feeling just super anxious nervous, apprehensive about the service that day, about my sermon in particular. And I was reading in Deuteronomy, and I read these words, Deuteronomy 20, verses 3 and 4. Listen to me, all you men of Israel. Do not be afraid as you go out to fight your enemies today. Do not lose heart or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies, and he will give you victory. Isn't that awesome? Like in the very moment I needed that, God led me to read it in my Bible. So here's the principle from that that I'm applying to my life then. Here it is. That God won't go for you, but he will go with you, and he'll fight on your behalf to give you victory. Isn't that good? Does anyone else need that today? Like God, God won't go for you. You have to go, but he will go with you. And when he goes with you, he fights for you and will give you victory. That's amazing. Right in the middle of the most outdated part of the Bible. So yes, there are commands that go all the way through the Bible, but we also have principles, these beautiful principles from start to finish that weave their way all the way through the Bible. I actually believe the Bible is the most relevant book you'll ever pick up in your life. At some point, the Holy Spirit has to make the connection between the Bible and your life, or it will always feel outdated. So lean into the Holy Spirit when it comes to the Word. So even if it is relevant to today's world, lots of people have similar questions as this next one. So here comes several. How can we trust the Bible as the authentic word of God? It has passed through so many sets of human hands. It has been translated and interpreted time and time again. I can find several different versions. In some passages, the versions will differ greatly. How am I to discern God's truth from the written word? So we're going to land just on, on there's a lot of questions, by the way. So we're going to land around this kind of thought. How can we trust the Bible as the authentic word of God? And uh, I think this might be the number one question for people today when it comes to the Bible, both people inside and outside the faith. How do we know 
that it's really the word of God. So I'm so glad this question was asked. And here's my, my starting point. At some point, the answer to that question is a matter of faith. At some point, it's a matter of faith that I brought my Bible out. That I either believe this is the word of God or I don't. That I either believe all of this is true or none of it can be true. Because if the Bible lies at any point, how can I trust anything else it says? So it's a matter of faith to start, okay, at some point. Because this is, the Bible is the foundation to our faith. Yet Jesus, the resurrection, that's what we believe, right? But we know of that through Scripture. And so if the foundation is unsure, I should not base my life upon it, okay? So I better know that it's accurate, and I better then have faith that it is the authoritative word of God. So at some point it comes down to our faith. As to the different versions, I will agree, yes, that can be confusing. Because the Bible was originally written not in English. Contrary to, to all the, the Jesus movies, he was not British with speaking English in a British accent, okay? Jesus was, was a Middle Eastern man who spoke the native tongue that he grew up in. So it was written in Hebrew and Greek, Hebrew Old Testament, Greek New Testament. And we don't always have exact words from those languages into our English language. And so we have a number of versions of the Bible in English. Some of those versions are what's called a paraphrase. So they take the intended meaning of the the original language, and put it into English. So like the New Living Translation, which we use here at Element Church, is called a dynamic translation. It takes phrases by phrases and translates them into a, a more readable English version without losing the intended meaning. Or you have versions like the New American Standard Bible, NASB, who many people who I trust believe that's the most literal English translation, but it's incredibly confusing to read. So it takes every word, word for word, translate it into the best English word, and it's just confusing. That's why I lean on the New Living Translation. I will point out this, though, that while there might be in our English versions some words and phrases that vary slightly, the teaching remains the same. It doesn't change. Like from beginning to end, you will not find variations if it's a Christian Bible. You will not find variations of God's plan for our salvation, God's plan for our sanctification, God's way to heaven, or what he expects of those of us who believe in him on the earth. All those things are clear. In our English Bibles, the the words or the grammar to express it might vary slightly, but the truth behind it remains the same. So now we're going to go deep, okay? So put on your thinking cast. We're going to go deep for a second into some scholarly thinking, okay? So hang with me for a moment. If you are a skeptic, by the way, about the Bible, first of all, I love it if you're a skeptic and you are here. Skeptics, I love skeptics because the only way you learn the truth is by asking questions. So if you're a skeptical person that asks questions, keep asking questions because you're going to eventually find the truth if you keep on asking, okay? But there are some books I would recommend. Here's one of them. I actually have a hard copy of one of them called The Problem of God, Answering a Skeptic's Challenges to Christianity by Mark Clark. Then Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell and The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. All three of those books were written by skeptics for skeptics. Okay, All three of these guys who wrote these books, they started out as atheists who did not believe the Bible was accurate, so they set out to disprove the Bible. In the process, they found out the Bible's the most accurate document in history and put their faith in Jesus, all of them. 
phenomenal stories. If you've not seen the movie, uh, The Case for Christ, you should. It's the story of Lee Strobel, unbelievable movie. Anyway, all of them deal with the very question that was asked, how can I trust the Bible as the word of God? So put on your thinking cap, here we go. There are many people who believe the Bible was mishandled throughout history. That content has been changed, the original message has been manipulated. But historians, even secular historians, will tell us the Bible is actually one of the most, if not the most, accurate, reliable, credible document in history. So just take the New Testament for example. When a historian decides whether an ancient document can be trusted, the first thing they ask is how many uh, original language manuscripts are available and then how long after the very first manuscript were those copies made. So the more copies you have, the more can be compared for contradictions and for, uh, for authority or for accuracy. So the more the better. And scholars say that because of the number of New Testament manuscripts, when compared to other writings of antiquity, the New Testament is the most accurate and trustworthy ancient document of all time. So to give you a specific example, I don't have time to go through all of them. We'll take one of them. The most recognized, accurate secular historical document is Homer's Iliad. So the Iliad is the most reliable ancient document in history, a secular one, has 643 original language copies known in existence, 643. The earliest was 500 years, was copied 500 years after the original was written. That's the best secular ancient work of all time. No one argues the Iliad's accuracy or reliability. Okay, so guess how many original New Testament, original language copies we have in existence? The least recognized number is 5,600 copies of the New Testament. Some scholars recognize 25,000 copies of the New Testament, the earliest just 50 years after the original was written. Isn't that awesome? So the Iliad, 643 copies, 500 years of the original, the New Testament, up to 25,000 copies, at the least 5,600 written 50 years after the original. So according to all the evidence that secular historians use to determine the accuracy and reliability of an ancient document, the, the Bible obliterates all other ancient documents according to accuracy and historic, uh, the historical proximity that they have. So what you have to come back to is this, okay? The accuracy is unarguable. Does the Bible have authority? That's the question you have to ask. And if the answer is yes, then the Bible comes over my life. And my life must submit to the Bible no matter whether I agree with it or not. Is it accurate? Unarguable. Does it have authority? That's up to you. We all have to make that decision. So that was super weighty. Let's do something not so weighty. This one's, this one's much easier. they're getting tired. I'm tired of listening to that. What? That's, that's a long answer. You aren't mesmerized by me? <laughs> I love you, though. I know. Thanks. I love you, too. Okay, how do you feel about businesses that advertise themselves as Christian, and should we as Christians support them over ones that don't advertise that way? So, first off, I would say we are under no obligations, my opinion, 
under no obligation to support a business just because they claim to be a Christian. And here's why. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is a Christian. Okay? Because I don't know about you, but I watch the movie awards and the music awards every year when they come out. And we got people walking up to the front receiving awards whose lifestyle is not within a country mile of what it means to be a Christian. Yet the first thing they say is, I would like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying to the TV is, instead of thanking him, why don't you live for him? That's what I say. So, okay? So, that's my opinion. It's okay, so you can just let that go. So, here, here's, here's where I'm at. And this is sad to me, but I'm just being honest. A lot of times in my life, the businesses that I've encountered who claim to be Christian are some of the most poorly run, ill-equipped businesses out there. That's just sad. I think if you're a Christian business owner, it should be the best business ever. That people should long to be a part of your business. There's only one Christian business I feel obligated to, to go to. That's Chick-fil-A. Outside of them, like I'm not obligated to go anywhere. <laughs> only bad part is I can't stop there on the way home tonight. So I choose, I choose, because they've got to honor God on Sundays or whatever. So <laughs> I choose, I choose to support businesses by how they do business first. Second, by whether they're believers or not. So whether there's a, a Jesus fish on the door doesn't matter to me. Are they doing business good? Then I'll support them. Unless there's just something unethical or, or um, you know, immoral they're doing. But other than that, I'm just, I'm just looking for good business. And let's go support them. It, and I didn't say this in any other service. I think it's the poorest witness in the world when we choose to only support Christians. We're wanting to reach non-Christians, right? Let's go support them too. So anyway, that's, that was beside the point. Somebody probably need to hear that. Make somebody mad. We have to go to the darkest place. That's right. Right? So, I'm not going to say that. Never mind. (laughs) Okay, it's getting heavy again. Yeah. We had a very personal question about forgiveness come in. They asked, how do I learn to forgive someone who molested me as a child? Okay. So, first off, if that's you that asked it or if you've experienced that kind of abuse in your life, I just want to say, and I'm sorry. That's, unfortunately, we're hearing more and more of that, right? It just seems like story after story of people coming out saying, I was abused as a kid, sometimes by the people you love the most. So it sucks. I'm sorry that you, you faced that. I think it's huge for us. And please understand, we're, we're literally touching the tips of the icebergs on all these questions. So I'm not giving you the whole answer here. But I think it's huge to understand that forgiving does not mean forgetting. That you might be able to forgive them but never forget what was done. Forgiving also does not mean that you have to be brought back fully into that relationship. You might not ever be back in that relationship, nor should you sometimes be back into that relationship. So while you may not forget what was done, you can be free from the, from the bondage to it. And you can be free from holding on to that person too. So you can let them go, and you can be let go from that control of that hurt. So if you want to go back and watch a sermon I did on forgiveness, uh, you can go to our website, elementchurchwy.com, and then go to the Mythbusters sermon series on past messages, week number two. So if you go to Mythbusters sermon series, week two, did a whole message on forgiveness. I don't have time to get into all of it. Uh, I will say this, though. You will never be able to forgive someone for that kind of offense without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You also, I don't think, can ever forgive someone for that without first being forgiven by Jesus yourself. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So until you've received forgiveness from Jesus, I'm not sure you can offer forgiveness to someone else truly 
to be set free from that. So start there with forgiveness. And then I think through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be able to forgive that person. This next question, we'll get into, into that kind of too. So we'll go on to this next one. This is a very revel- relevant question related to some things our country seems to be continually facing these days. How should we react to hate or someone discriminating against us? So I, I may not, as a, as a white male who grew up in a very white privileged environment, I may, I don't know if you guys know I'm white, okay, just so you know. Um, yeah, somebody's shocked, I know. So while I may not have personal experience with hate, discrimination, racism, doesn't mean I can't speak to it, right? Doesn't mean we can't see it when it happens. So let me speak to it just as your pastor. I'm going to say some things that I shouldn't, ha- shouldn't have to say, but I'm going to just so we're all on the same page, okay? So these should be commonplace. But first of all, hate in any form towards any person for any reason has no place in someone who calls themselves a child of God, okay? On the same vein here, racism is unacceptable in the Christian faith, okay? So this, we're all, this should be left unsaid, but I'm saying it anyway. With that said, you look at the story of Jesus, he obliterated racial stereotypes. Just, he crossed every racial line there was just to say, I'm not here to, to, have, to divide people. I'm here, you know, to unite us together uh, with, with, my, with my life. Also, I would warn us this, that not everything called hate is hate, okay? Just because someone disagrees with me does not make them hateful. Sometimes what we view as hate is simply ignorance, they just don't know any different. Uh, it's just misunderstanding. So we got we to keep that in mind. And I would say this, it's not hateful. It is not hateful to claim that what the Bible says is sin is actually sin. That's not hateful. We might be hateful in the way we say it, which is wrong, but it's not hateful to say that what this book says is sin is actually sin. That would make God hateful. And God's not hateful. And he's the one that said sin is sin, right? He lists the sins out. We just might be able to stand, stand on them. So to answer the question, how do we react to hate or discrimination, let me read a scripture, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, okay? It's awfully hard not to react the right way to someone who hates you when you're praying for them. Here's the forgiveness piece. It's awfully hard not to forgive someone when you're praying for them every day. Because when you're praying, you should be becoming more like Jesus. When you become more like Jesus, you'll be more forgiving. So when you're praying for them, you're actually going to be forgiving them at the same time. Okay? In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even, tax, even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So when someone is unkind to you, you don't pay them back in kind. You pay them back in kindness. That's how you respond to someone who is hateful or discriminating against you. Because it's what Jesus called us to do, that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So that's, that's how we should respond. That's in a nutshell how you respond. Things like racism and abuse are completely outside our control. So that's a perfect segue into these next questions. What is the best way to handle situations that we cannot change in our lives? How do we deal with disappointment? Can you share your favorite passages on hope? Sometimes all hope seems lost, and it would be nice to have a passage to refer to in those times. 
So this is the next to last question, right? So hang with me, dial in for a moment. I do my best to get you out on time, but you are 6 p.m. service and I always go long. So here we go. One of the things I love about the Bible is it doesn't hide reality. The Bible doesn't hide reality. Like you read it from front to back and there's person after person after person who go through times of hopelessness, pain, hurt, tragedy, loss. From front to back, it's all there. People like Elijah and Paul and Jesus himself all went through times of pain and loss and hopelessness. So the choice we have to make is, in those times, will I choose to lean into my pain or will I choose to lean into God's presence? It's the choice we all have to make when we face those times. And one of my favorite words in the Bible is the word yet. Not Yeti who makes the cups, but yet, okay? And a few years ago, I started noticing this word again and again in Scripture, that there would be one of the writers of Scripture, and they would write this lament about all these bad things happening, and then they would say yet, and completely shift gears into this hope-filled message about God. My favorite passage on hope is the Lamentations 3, 19 through 24. It says this, Prophet Jeremiah speaking here, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. And all God's people said, amen. Isn't that awesome? So, so good. So here's a phrase I came up with to help me remember that passage. That no matter what happened yesterday, my yet today is greater than my yesterday. My yet today is greater than my yesterday. So that's where I go for a passage on hope. Two others also that I'm not going to read, but you can write these down. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. So Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. And then Psalm 27, 12 through 14. Both of those are great. They use that word yet as well. And we got one more question and we'll get you out of here. There are a lot of different religions in the world. This person wanted to know, what are some differences in Christian beliefs compared to Mormons? Okay, so first of all, if you want to do your own research on any world religion, great website called karm.org, C-A-R-M.org, Christian website that gives literally extensive, exhaustive information on every major world religion, so you can go there. Let me say this too, if you're here or you're listening online and you have a background in the Mormon faith or family in the Mormon faith, please understand, we love you. Jesus died for you, and what I'm about to share with you is not an attack on you or anybody that you love, okay? So you're good with that? If you're good, just give me a thumbs up. We're all good with that? Okay, so let me say this. I'm going to be just super plain and clear to you. Mormonism is not the same as Christianity, okay? I'm going to go one step further, so hang with me. You cannot follow Mormonism and be a Christian at the same time. You can't, Okay? Now, I will say there are lots of Mormons that have no idea what their church believes. None. And I think if they actually knew what their church believed, they probably wouldn't be a part of it. Okay? Now, the same can be true of Christians. There are way too many Christians that have no idea what a Christian believes. They couldn't stand, uh, they couldn't defend their faith for anything. 
So that's why we should, we should be reading books like these ones I'm, I'm telling you about that help you defend your faith, okay? So here's, I, here's a few differences, just a few, between Mormons and Christians, and this might be a shock to many of you, but here's what they believe. Mormons do not believe the Bible is sufficient. They believe the Book of Mormon is in addition to the Bible, and the Book of Mormon written by Joseph Smith has higher authority than the Bible, okay? Mormons do not believe that Jesus is God, which makes Jesus out to be a liar if you believe the Bible. Okay, Mormons believe that Jesus and Satan are spirit brothers and that we were all born as siblings in heaven with them both. This comes from the belief that they believe in a father God who used to be a man, an actual man, who followed the Mormon faith well enough that he became a god of his own planet. That Father God is married to Mother God, and they have spirit kids. Okay, they do, they believe uh, they believe that we too can be gods of our own planet someday, if we follow the Mormon faith well enough. They do not believe in the Trinity: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all three different gods, former people who made their way to be a god. They do not believe that we are saved by grace alone, or that belief in Jesus is the way to be saved. They believe that good works are necessary for salvation, and that's just a few of the differences between Mormons and Christians, which, by the way, those differences alone create a chasm a million miles wide between Christians and Mormons, okay? So let me give you some information on how you can defend your faith to a Mormon, because when a Mormon talks to you, a Christian, here's what they will say. Well, we believe in Jesus, too. That's what they say. So here, let me tell you a little brief story, and then we're done. A couple weeks ago, I was doing my quiet time. One of the prayers I pray almost every day in my quiet time is, God, whoever you want me to talk to about you today, if you want me to talk to someone, put them in my path. I literally pray that, okay? So I was out for a run one afternoon after working here at the church. I was running up on Story Boulevard down the sidewalk, and coming down me, literally in my path, were three Mormon missionaries, Okay? I had my earbuds in. I was running. I literally started praying, please, God, don't let them talk to me. <laughs> so I'm running towards three Mormon missionaries down. They're in my path. And I just prayed that, that this morning. I'm thinking, God, you have a sense of humor. And one of them, I was trying to ignore him, and one of them did this. So I stopped, pull out my earbuds, introduce myself. They introduced themselves to me. You know, hey, we're, we're out talking to people, and what's your name? My, my, my name's Elder This, Elder This, Elder This. And they ask me my name. I'm Jeff, Jeff Manis. And they say, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church in town. Oh, you know, the, what church? And I was like, actually, Element Church right down the road here. And they said, we've talked to a lot of people from Element Church, which is super cool. And then we, we you know, shared pleasantries and whatnot. And they said this, oh, well, we're just out sharing the gospel with people. And I said, oh, I said, just one difference, though. Your gospel is different than my gospel. And they said, fair enough. And we shared a few more pleasantries, which, by the way, I didn't show this in any other service. I thought about this before this service. The word gospel means good news. And what the Mormon religion preaches is not good news. Because it's not good news that to work for my salvation. Good news is Jesus did the work to save me. Okay? So... So here's how you, def so I told them, we have different gospels, and they said, fair enough. So here's what you say when someone says, when a Mormon says, I believe in Jesus too, here's your response. Yes, but it's not the same Jesus. It's not the same Jesus. Because my Jesus didn't have to work himself up to be a god of a planet. 
My Jesus was God before there was planets, and he made them all. And then my God, listen, then my God made us, and we screwed everything up. And so he said, since you screwed it all up, I will come down as one of you. I'll die in your place. I'll rise from the dead so that if you believe in me, you can't work your way to salvation, but I did the work for you. So put your faith in me. Listen. Put your faith in me, and you'll live with me forever, the creator of planets, and you won't even want a planet because you'll be with me. That's what you say, okay? So again, they say they believe in Jesus. It's not the same Jesus. I got one minute to close out. So love you guys. Uh, next week, we're going to be answering questions like, how does the church feel about transgenders? Uh, we got some questions on speaking in tongues, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we got some questions on parenting and marriage we're going to tackle next week. So that's next week. My voice is already going out. Hey, if you're new here, stop by the living room. We'd love to, to see you in there. If you need prayer for anything, go to the purple tents in the back of the auditorium. We'd love to spend some time praying for you. And then let me say a prayer over you, and we'll get you out of here. God, you're so good. Thanks for the fact that we can ask questions, Lord, and that you will give us answers. So I pray for all of us, all the questions that we have. Lord, I pray those questions would lead us to you. Lord, go with us today. I pray we leave this place, and we would live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. See you.